Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, home of the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me is... Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery! How's it going, Ian? Yes, very well, Matt. Uh, let's get the wheel spinning. Okay, off it goes. And Matt, I've just realised that in the in this studio, I'm looking out the window, I can see the Westgate Bridge. I've never seen it before, isn't that a fun fact? That's a, that's a lovely story, Thanks ever so much. <laughs> and the topic for this episode is... It's out of bounds, Ian, and I'm going to take this one if that's alright with you. Um, oh, you could have you could have given me a little window of opportunity to take it for myself. But... I'm sorry, mate. I've got a story prepared and I want to tell it. So this is the story of Torquay United, a proud English football club. And very specifically, the, the climax of the 1986-1987 season. Do you know much about Torquay United, Ian? I don't know a great deal about Torquay United. I don't know a huge amount about the town either. No. Um, but it is, it's referred to as the English Riviera. It is indeed is the English right? Riviera. Yeah. So Torquay is a small town on the, on the south coast of England, as you say. It probably feels a bit dated. You know, it's associated with maybe like times gone by. You know, I think it's it, it had this idea of being, you know, a brilliant holiday resort for Victorians or something, but these days, I guess people would would rather catch their budget airlines over to Europe, and as a result, I think Torquay probably has a reputation for being a bit of yesterday. It strikes me as one of those places, and there's quite a few of them on the south coast, which um, cater a lot for the for the elderly coach tour. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, yeah. a, you, you open the local newspaper and the adverts you can go to Torquay for £59 for the day mm-hmm. or something, you know, or you stay overnight, it's ridiculously cheap and uh, the Silver Herd Brigade get down there, <laughs> like yourself Matt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's, um, but, it, but look, it's, it's, it's a sort of well-known place, you know, for Faulty Towers if nothing else. Again, that probably doesn't help uh, maybe the stereotype of, of Torquay as uh, it's been a bit of a, a place of fun uh, for for the English holidaymaker, <laughs> Basil Fawlty was very proud of Torquay. Yes, he, he exactly. Constantly went into bat for Torquay, and couldn't see why anybody would go anywhere else. <laughs> exactly. I, I remember an episode where he he got angry at the woman uh, who was complaining about the room having sea views, uh, and he said he said, "So what do you expect to see out of a Torquay hotel window? <laughs> Herds of wildebeest sweeping majestically across the Serengeti." <laughs> True. I mean, the view is of Torquay out of a Torquay window. So, so I think you know that was, despite the fact Faulty Towers was a terrible hotel, it, it was. It seemed that it was in a nice place. Yeah. Well, uh, that's it. It's an, it's a nice place, and look, they've got an old old football team, really old actually. It was founded in eighteen ninety nine. They they played at their ground, their uh, their stadium, probably wrong word ground. Uh, since 1921. So this is a really well-established football team. But the club, as I say, we're going back all the way to 1987. I think throughout their history, they've always been at the lower end of of the football pyramid. You know, they haven't really had too many days in the sunshine, you know, too many glorious cup wins or league titles or anything like that. Um, I think it's it's often they're fighting relegation or maybe they're going for promotion again. But by and large, 
it's it's at the lower level and they're never they've never been sort of a force like a like a Manchester United or, or a Liverpool say. I'd be surprised if they've ever, ever been in the top league in in their history. Yeah, I think you're probably right actually. I I really don't think they have. In 1985 there'd been a fire at the at the ground. Uh, the the 50-year-old uh, main stand which was the grandstand uh, had caught fire in May 1985, which was actually just a few days after there had been a fire at Bradford at, at Valley Parade. You know, there was sort of sus- suspicions it might have been an arson uh, or an insurance job. As it as it was, it was actually just an electrical fault which had uh, ca- caused the fire. But that was in 1985. In 1987, the, the, the stadium still partly burnt down. And Stuart Morgan, uh, who becomes the manager in uh, in that season, he joins from Bournemouth, and he thinks, "What have I done coming here?" You know, there's <laughs> a burnt down stadium. He says he talks about the team bus, and it was absolutely knackered. It, you know, he couldn't believe that this was what the uh, the players were were travelling around in, and and obviously from Torquay, right on the south tip of you know of, of the country. They're travelling hundreds of miles to, to to the opposition games when they have to go away from home because they're so far from, you know, a lot of places. Well, isn't that one of the curses of there's quite a few teams who uh, suffer from this in the UK is that they're just so far away from other places. You know, it's like a tax every time they travel. Yeah. Like Torquay's like right on the kind of southwest tip, isn't it, of um, of the UK. So if they play like somewhere, even somewhere central, as they play Nottingham Forest, like the it's journey still a is long, massive. Long way. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's massive. Uh, I think the only really successful team, like Ipswich and Norwich, suffer from this as well, uh, just because they're at the periphery mm-hmm. and and teams who are generally successful um you know on main ar- arterial roads <laughs> it's, it's, it's really it's like a really curious thing but Torquay have got a, even attracting players you know football uh footballers have families they yeah. have uh you know hometowns not many people come from Torquay uh it's difficult even to attract a player from London to come to Torquay I would imagine yeah exactly despite the lifestyle and uh the lovely um, seaside. Yeah, no. Well, you, you're absolutely right, and that's that's a that's a problem that they have to deal with. And as I say, they're not helped by this absolutely awful coach that they're, they're sort of travelling around in in the team bus. Um, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so, so, so there's two characters, I suppose, I should introduce Stuart Morgan, who's as I say the, the manager, and he's come from Bournemouth, where he was the assistant manager, and also as a Scottish defender. Uh, called Jim McNichol and he's the captain and he's a defender as I say but he's he's got a reputation actually for scoring quite a lot of goals despite being a defender yeah he he gets forward a bit he gets a few goals and probably one of their better players but this is not a great side you know they haven't got a lot of money so they've struggled to attract the better players coming into the 1986-1987 season it's it's not probably a vintage side for them there's relegation concerns this is a really interesting season Ian, because in 1987 whoever finishes bottom is going to be out of the football league so this is this is a this is newly introduced where you can actually be eliminated from the football league entirely 
And outside of the Football League, there is no professional football. So if Torquay were to be relegated, or whoever is relegated, for the players that means huge uncertainty. Perhaps you won't be a footballer anymore. You're not going to be a professional. You can't be paid as a professional outside if you if you if you, if you were to be relegated. Without that professionalism, you know, there's there's concerns that the club might not even exist because you know without being able to do that, obviously you're going to lose all your players. Is there going to be enough money coming in to even keep the lights on because it's going to become an amateur club or you know semi-professional club basically losing that professional status so so just to explain what the football league is it's a terminology which doesn't isn't very helpful to explain the situation is it but the football league is what the 92 full-time professional football teams in England and Wales in the top four divisions, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And then below that, then there's one national league and then it starts becoming localised. Yeah, yeah, regional leagues. So you've got the northern one, the southern one, etc. And then they start to break up and it just becomes more and more local because amateur teams don't have the money to be travelling from Torquay to Newcastle, say. But... You know, from Torquay, you could travel to, to other sort of small local clubs. But that is a massive drop, isn't it? A massive drop down, like to go from f- full-time professional status to, I mean, as you say, it, it, it could actually decimate the club. Yeah, of course. Stop them existing. Yeah, because, you know, once you're not in the the football league, once you're not a professional, one of those 92 teams, then, yeah, the, the media stop reporting on you. You know, you're not you're not in the newspapers. You know, you lose all sort of, status really and you just become an irrelevance so so it really really matters okay and this is the first time that this has happened in 1986-87 they're saying right we're going to get rid of one of these teams and replace them with the best of somebody else as you can imagine uh, from where this story is going Torquay uh, find themselves in trouble towards the end of the season due to the way the results have all gone on the last day of the season there are three teams that could be relegated you are Burnley, Lincoln and Torquay. It would have been four, but actually Tranmere had secured safety the night before because they played on the Friday. So the night before, everybody else's last day of the season, Tranmere yes. actually survive uh, by winning on a Friday. I think Gary Williams scored with his, uh, what looked like a bullet header, but I think it was it came off his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> People still talk about that in Tramway Rovers history, uh, my local team, and just say that that Tramway Rovers would have um, gone out of existence yeah. uh, had they been relegated that year. So that goal is goes down as saving the club and that still exists today. So there you go, man. It's just so uh, so dramatic, man. It matters, doesn't three, it? Three teams, yeah. all can go down on the last day. Uh, that is so anxiety provoking. Well, well, as it stands, like, Torquay on bottom. Burnley are bottom. So Burnley have 46 points, Torquay have 47, and Lincoln have 48. It's three points for a win. You know, Burnley could could jump all the way up to 49. Um, they're all playing on the last day of the season. And Torquay are playing a crew side uh, who are pretty good. Um, they're playing at home, so it's, it's at Torquay. But this crew team are coming in. They've got nothing to play for. They're up at the, the sort of top half. There's actually a, a young footballer called David Platt playing for for crew that day who um followers of of England would know is uh you know a, a great player for England uh in sort of the 90s and uh, so David Platt's playing for crew crew as i say really nothing to play for but they're a strong side 
Torquay are coming to this in awful form and they're 2-0 down straight away. Okay, Crew score twice early in the game and Torquay are really in trouble. They've got an absolute mountain to climb here. The fans start to get on Torquay's back because everybody really thinks this is Torquay's last game in the Football League, possibly in their history. The fans are getting really, really frustrated, really angry because they can see their team disappearing, you know, going down without a fight against Crew. As I say, 2-0 down almost immediately and things are not looking good. Now, suddenly, there's a free kick. Mark Gardner of Torquay rolls it to Jim McNichol, our goal-scoring captain. He kicks it basically as hard as he can. And he's, you know, and he can kick it hard. And it's it, the goalkeeper's dived one way, but the ball goes the other. And it's suddenly it's 2-1. And there's a chance, okay? And there's nothing more dangerous in footballing than hope. <laughs> I thought you were going to say nothing more dangerous than a 2-0 lead. <laughs> it's, it's seen as like the worst, because one goal and it's it changes. All, all over. Well, this is it. So the, so the momentum now maybe is with Torquay. All they need is one point. The way the results have gone, Lincoln are losing to Swansea. And people obviously have the radios in the ground. And they can hear that Lincoln are losing. And they know if they can just get one point, which will come from a draw, if they can score that goal and level things up and equalise to go 2-2, Torquay will finish with the same number of points as Lincoln, but a marginally superior goal difference. And therefore will survive and it'll be Lincoln who crash out of the Football League. Now, Matt, I'm just going to stop you there because this is an all very nice story. But... This happens every year, you know, like teams get relegated. Of course. Teams get promoted. It's, it's very nice of you to run us through 1987, Jim McNichol scoring a good goal and all. But is this story going anywhere? Well, it, it absolutely is. Because the fans are getting so boisterous and so aggressive, there's police at the ground because they're concerned this dilapidated, burnt-out ground they're worried that it's going to be torn down by angry fans. So the police are there. And the police can see the fans getting upset. There's not long left in this match. It's 2-1. So the fa- so the police decide to deal with the fans by sending policemen around the perimeter of the football pitch with police dogs, with Alsatians. And these, do- these policemen and Alsatians send a message to the fans that they can't smash the place up if they lose. And then in the middle of this maelstrom, you've got a football match going on and Torquay just want to score a goal. And it, it must be pointed out as well at this point that uh, hooliganism is a real issue in, absolutely. in English, absolutely. Yeah, of English soccer. And so this, although it seems like an overreaction by the police, you can imagine that tensions were running pretty high uh, at those type of fixtures in 1987, so... Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But what happens is, the seven minutes on the clock now, okay, and, and Torquay are wave after wave of attack. They're doing absolutely everything they can to get this goal, this elusive, equalising goal, to draw the match and survive. There's seven minutes left, and they're, they're doing everything. The ball keeps going in the box and is cleared away by the crew defence. With seven minutes to go, the ball is booted out of off the pitch. Jim McNichol, our goal-scoring 
captain, the centre half, is running across the pitch to catch the ball and chase it so that he can take the quick throw in and restart the match as quick as possible and, you know, continue the the pressure against the crew defence. So the ball crosses the line. Jim McNichol crosses the line. All he's looking at is the ball. But the policeman and his Alsatian are right there. The Alsatian sees Jim McNichol hurtling towards him and, understandably, turns around and bites Jim McNichol on the leg. (laughs) You've got an Alsatian (laughs) hanging off a defender by the thigh. (laughs) A trained killer. Exactly. A trained police dog Alsatian. That's it. Did he? He surely got a yellow card. Oh, did he? Well, <laughs> well this is it. So nobody, everybody's a bit confused because Jim McNichol has gone down in a heap. He knows what's happened. He's been bitten by a dog. But, you know, a lot of people are looking at this going, what's happened? Is he, you know, has he pulled a muscle? Is he injured? Because the dog jumps up and bites him so quickly. You know, and people were already lo- looking to see on the pitch, where's the next bit of action going to be? Nobody's looking off the pitch expecting a, you know, <laughs> this dog to attack the player. <laughs> it's it's balmy. It reminds me of that Nike advert from the 90s, you know, where it was played in hell and the linesman had a, a hellhound, <laughs> you know, snapping at the player's ankle. And this is yeah. it. So how does this resolve itself? Well, because... well you'd think, I mean, this, this bite is huge. You know, You know, the size of an Alsatian's head. And the size of their teeth, as you say, they are, you know, really brutal dogs. And the the injury sustained to Jim McNichol's leg is is huge. One of the players described it as the the bite was as big as an apple and as deep as a plum. You know, it's it's absolutely huge, but it's not actually bleeding that much. Whilst it's really really deep, there's not too much blood, and. It, back in those days, teams only got one substitute. And Torquay have used their substitute. So Jim McNichol really is faced with a choice. He's the captain. Either he can stop playing altogether. And bearing in mind, he knows that if Torquay lose this match, he might never play football ever again. Or alternatively, he can get some treatment and try and play on with this huge gash in his leg. So he decides he decides the latter. So he starts getting some treatment. He, he ends up, after the match, he needs 17 stitches, okay? So just to give you an idea about the severity of this, it is a really deep cut. But he can't get stitches right now. He need... They should have put the dog in defence. <laughs> well, well the, the referee came over to the policeman and says, look, have you seen what your dog's done? <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah. Yes, ref. So, sorry, ref. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. This moment really matters because it gives the, the crowd a, a chance, I guess, to calm down. Everybody on the pitch, you know, sort of takes a breath and calms down and is just waiting for Jim McNichol to receive his treatment. And it takes about five minutes, four or five minutes for him to receive all of this treatment. By the time he's back on his legs and he's you know he's he's got sort of a bandage wrapped around him everywhere else in the football league the matches have have continued and and finished and now we know that Lincoln did lose to Swansea that's 
you know, it's over. And enough. And the fans have been listening on the radio in Torquay, and they know. And the message gets to the players: we need one goal. It is confirmed. If we can get one goal, we survive. And so at this point, they're down, though, Torquay. Yeah, they're still losing two one. If the if the result stays stays the same, that's it. That's it. No goals. Wow. No more goals. And Torquay are out. But if they can get one goal, they get to survive. As I said, there was seven minutes left when McNichol took took his injury. Now, in football, injury time is added on at the end. So the referees stop the game so that Jim McNichol can receive his treatment. And this time is going to be added on to the end of the match. So the game continues. It restarts. Everyone is absolutely waiting with bated breath to see what will happen. And, And with seconds left in the game... The ball goes into the box. A crew defender really, you know, should just clear it away, should just kick the ball away. But for some reason decides to take an extra touch. He miscontrols it and the ball starts bouncing around in the box like a pinball machine. You know, it's hitting this player, hitting another player. Everybody's trying to control it. It's bouncing all over the place. It's total chaos. And it falls to a striker called Paul Dobson of Torquay who spins around and kicks it into the corner. And it bumbles and bounces and, and, and goes in. And Torquay have survived. With seconds left, it's 2-2. Wow. They got the point they needed. Torquay survived. Lincoln are relegated. And it's party time in Torquay. Unless your name's Jim McNichol, in which case it's off to hospital for 17 stitches. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a chance encounter. I know. That is so bizarre. Well, everybody sees... I mean, this this is in football folklore because if Jim McNichol wasn't bitten by Bryn the dog, the feeling is Torquay would never have scored that goal because they wouldn't have had that period of time to compose themselves and assess the situation and also really understand what, what had gone on. You know, that it's a great benefit to know we do only need one goal because they, you know, that one goal was only enough because Lincoln had lost. If Lincoln had won, it wouldn't have mattered. That one goal wouldn't have been enough. So it it does uh, it did matter, I suppose. And players knowing that would help them, you know, psychologically to know this is all we need. We just need that that one goal. But uh, but look, uh, Bryn the dog, who. And Constable Harris, they retired uh, in 1993. So they, they'd spent six more years together on the force. It's actually uh, quite quite sweet, really. Bryn, Bryn died in 1994, unfortunately. Uh, but Constable Harris still keeps his ashes uh, at his home, um, which is uh, which is sweet. They had a great bond, Constable Harris and, and Bryn. Uh, McNichol played another five seasons. His <laughs> career didn't end. So that was great. And uh, and yeah, Torquay are, are, are still running. But yeah, as I say, they're, they're still down in the fifth tier. So unfortunately, not, not, not too much has changed in that regard. I'm surprised Bryn wasn't put down Well, such a savage attack. But I suppose he get rewarded for... Uh, yeah, well, that was it. He was rewarded. Know. The chairman... I mean, there was media um, events afterwards. The chairman met Bryn, uh, gave him a huge bone <laughs> um, and said, you know, have, have this instead of my player's legs. Uh, got him a scarf. And yeah, the story was told that Bryn the dog saved Torquay. Uh, not Paul Dobson and his goal, but uh, Bryn the dog. 
And uh, yeah, Bryn, Bryn the dog became an absolute legend of of Torquay and Torquay United for for saving the day. What I love about that story, Matt, is that throughout you referred to the dog as an Alsatian. I don't know if you know the uh, controversy around such terminology. I don't know no. why I know this, Matt, or why I'm recounting it on the podcast, but here goes. <laughs> so On this note. I'll say, yeah, on <laughs> Listeners, this, feel on, free to switch off note. now, or, or we can listen to Ian's. <laughs> In my, my little uh, dog corner. Um, it's not going to be a new segment of the podcast, this. This is a one-off. German Shepherds is the actual term for the dog, but it changed to Alsatian in the UK uh, during the First World War because they didn't want to call him German. And the, officially, they didn't start calling him German Shepherds again until 1977. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. So the fact that you call it, because uh, they're called Alsatians because uh, uh, from the Alsace region of France, which is on the French-German border, which is actually a, a, a town, an area which caused, helped cause the First World War. So <laughs> almost Al- Alsatian doesn't really um, make sense either. But um, yeah, but interesting that you were holding on to that um, well, anti-German go. sentiment in there. <laughs> well, I mean, not at all, Ian. It was... Uh... I was I was unaware and yeah for, happy to happy to be corrected on that and refer to to, to Bryn as a German shepherd if, if that's the PC term. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, oh. What a note to end on. I really did not expect that that would uh, finish in that way. Um my goodness, what and and check out um Gary Williams's goal for Tramia Rovers in that year as well. Fantastic. Oh, some scenes at Prenton Park that night, but good on Torquay and good on Bryn the dog and um, rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the end of the episode, Matt. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, great. And um, thank you so much for downloading and, and supporting our podcast. Uh, it's free. So leave a review, be kind, do the right thing tell your friends about it steal their phone download it give it back to them and everyone will be happy thanks so much matt thank you so much Ian. and we'll see you next time for the greatest sports stories ever told